It's Thursday, June 2nd, 2022, and you're listening to Last Time on Video Games, the show about retro video games and sometimes some other stuff. You're listening to episode 291, No Rhyme or Reason. Runtime for this episode is 1 hour, 10 minutes. Hello and welcome to Last Time on Video Games, the podcast where rhyming is no longer allowed. My name is Jeremy. I'm Tyler, and I'm well endowed. That's literally the only word I can think of that rhymes with allowed. I hate rhymes. My name is Zach. Oh, crowd. Crowd would have been a better one, probably. Loud would have worked, but it would have been cheating, and I would have docked you points. Anyway. <laughs> we played Banjo, did we? Ugh. And we'll talk about that after, I don't know, however long it takes us to get warm on these mics. I'm Lucy and Goosey today. I don't know about you guys. I've had a week. It's because I don't you're get half into it. frozen. I wasn't that cold on the way here. It was. It's more windy. I, I suffered more wind damage than cold damage. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I was actually going to say on a Friday we had a blizzard out here and it knocked out the power to my house for a while. So I'm like, oh, it's fine. Power outages don't last that long anymore. So I plugged all my phones in. And I'm like, it'll be great. We'll just wake up in the morning. Power will be back on. We woke up and the house is like 50 degrees and we had no electricity and no way to cook. Well, I mean, you guys are grazers, so it, that should be fine. Yeah, no, it was more or less fine. Yes. Also, we have like a ton of people who live in approximately this area that we can go couch surf with. So it's not a huge deal, but it was mildly inconvenient for a while. Yeah, I was con- kind of I wasn't concerned about like ending up in a power outage or anything like that up in my place i was mostly concerned that our tree would drop a branch on my dad's car yeah uh, at least where we were though it literally melted instantly as soon as it was done it it was done by the by the next day yeah i was gonna say it all pretty much melted off and so i actually had a branch like on my garage that i had to pull out of the way because it was blocking the garage door like i couldn't open the garage door because of a tree branch we, we so. had a tree branch that was literally just sitting on our skylight that's pretty fun. <laughs> so what have you been playing under the skylight tree, Zach? I have been far under the skylight tree since all of my gear is in my basement. A lot of League of Legends, a lot of my gotcha games, that's pretty normal. We they, they finally announced the next, finally the next HMS event for Azure Lane. Oh, is that the one that you sent me? Yes, because there are two sides of the, fl- of the fleets in that so- game, Vanguard and Main. Anyway, I, I had a bit of a moment the last couple of weeks due to that outside thing, so I played a lot of the bigs, too, because, you know, it's a game I don't have to stress about at all. Uh, how good is Todd Helton in that game? Slash, how in that game is Todd Helton? Because what year is it from? 2008? So pretty good? No, <laughs> but not the peak of his powers? No, maybe 2009, because Holiday is on the athletics in that game. Okay, so yeah, the peak of Todd Helton's powers. Uh, if you don't know who Todd Helton is, he's a guy who knew Peyton Manning. He was, a, he was a baseball player here in Colorado. He was the face of the Rockies for a long-ass time. But yeah, so I played a lot of that. Because of the same thing, I watched a bunch of comfort anime, and including one that I'd actually never watched before but always intended to, which was Initial D, which I mentioned in our Discord if you've been in there. And, well, I, I would recommend it. Like If you can get past the PS1 graphics of the uh, cars in that show, like that show is kind of bodged together in a lot of ways the sound design's great though a little melodramatic on its story but i was gonna say i know a lot of people have a lot of 
if not nostalgia, just like outright fondness for Initial D. My attachment to Initial D is from the arcade cabinets you would sometimes see here, because it's one of those things where you would play the game that it would print a license for you, and that license like had your RPG stats on it, that you, and you could grind this arcade game. And That's I, actually kind of rad. But it was only in arcades I went to once every three years, so I never like actually got to interact with them, and so it's an amazing, perfect system in my head, and not grindy crap like it probably actually is. <laughs> It's one of those series that's kind of fun. I do have a sneaking suspicion that the writer uh, didn't really want to do romance because there are a couple of romance episodes in it that are immediately, like, broken off. And then they drove off a cliff. Not to that extent, but, like, they're, they're, it's like, okay, we have this female character. There's a love interest, and now we're going to put her on a bus. And that bus is on a cliff. Anyway, the reason why I mentioned that is because it made me want to go play Need for Speed Carbon again, a game I have a lot of fond memories of. So I played Need for Speed Most Wanted, a game I have fondness for and a saga with. Not Vivian. Because I don't actually own Need for Speed Carbon anymore. What happened to it? Sold it to GameStop. Okay. I was going to say, it's not the one I accidentally sold to GameStop. No, that was Most Wanted. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which I got a new copy of, and that's actually the game that I played. I didn't get a new copy specifically to play it, but I've been looking around to get myself another copy of Carbon. Um, is Carbon one of the more, like, racy ones as opposed to one of the more arcadey ones? Because I remember Most Wanted is, like, on the arcadier side. It's on, it, it's basically the direct sequel to Need for Speed Most Wanted. Oh, well, then you in that case, out, I really want to play that game. You start out Need for Speed Carbon with the same car you end the game with in Most Wanted. Is Carbon the one that takes place all at night? That doesn't that's really under- narrow it down? Okay. I was gonna say, I think that's Underground also, but... Underground 2 does, Carbon does, I think Most Wanted... Of the like arcadey ones is kind of the unique one because it takes place entirely during the day. Okay, I've only played one Need for Speed, and literally all I remember about it is that it all took place at night. Most of them do. That is one of the oldest games I've played. Like I think it's even older than the Bigs. Actually, I know it's older than the Bigs too because it was one of the Straddle games that came out at the same time on the Xbox and the Xbox 360. It was one of the 360's launch titles. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. It's easy to tell because it only had 15 achievements, and it was all beat this guy. As opposed to do dumb stuff, which are my favorite achievements. I mean, it was when they didn't really know what they wanted to do with achievements, so they were basically all story-related type of things. Or that one Avatar, the last Airbender game, where the achievements are all for just getting combos to a certain height. That one is a lot of fun. I remember it being a lot more difficult than it was this time around, and I'm I've got a sneaking suspicion it has to do with me just knowing how to drive in these games better than I used to, because I wasn't, like, all using the system they implemented because they didn't have the same rewind mechanic as you see in, like, a lot of the Forza and uh, Dirt games now. Instead, they had something they called a speed breaker, which is basically just a very harsh slowdown, uh, like a time slow mechanic and a slowdown for your car so you can make turns a lot easier. There's a disembodied, there's a disembodied voice go, speed breaker, when you do them. <laughs> No, no, that doesn't. It would be that would, that would be great, but it doesn't. I mean, I had one of those moments when playing it. It's like, yes, I got this car back that I spent all this time that I lost at the beginning of to kick off the story. Can I have my GT back? <laughs> like, do I have to take this crap ass BMW? What else have you been playing, Zach? I played a bit of uh, Monster Rancher Two since we last recorded, and had a little bit of a struggle trying to figure that one out because it's like. I remember Monster Rancher 4. I think that's probably the best one. I actually still, I think I own, still own that one. It's just, 
like for my PS2 and I haven't plugged in my PS2 in such a long time, I don't even know if it works. I literally will buy games on systems I currently have hooked up to my TV, even if I have the same console sitting on my entertainment cabinet and all I need to do is switch cables. Well, the, <laughs> the thing is, like Monster Rancher 4, I did, if I remember, I didn't sell very well. but So I bought Monster Rancher 2 on Steam, played it for a little bit and was like, I'm having a hell of a lot of trouble figuring out how to get my guys to live more than in a year and a half. I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. That's my primary memory from Monster Rancher. Not putting in random ass CDs to see what came out. Just my monsters dying two minutes after they were born and me being like, did I feed them the wrong food? They're like Tamagotchis. Yes. Like I said, that's one of the reasons why I like Monster Rancher 4. It seems like it was a little bit more forgiving on that. As well as the fact that you could have five at a time. I played the entire prologue section of 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Oh, Rad, how is it? I quite like it. I'll, I need to play more of it. My only problem with it is that it opens itself up into a... Uh, like, you clear the prologue, which is kind of... The prologue is a linear thing. It makes you go through it in a linear fashion. The timeline itself in the game is all all over the place, because, like, you have multiple characters who are time travelers. There's a talking cat. I mean, you're saying it's like this should be shocking or something. This is just anime. Yeah, I was going to say, and then the talking cat is like, make a wish. Make a wish. Make a wish. (laughs) (laughs) I think my... I just, I want to Photoshop QBA onto the Make a Wish Foundation logo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do that after, I'm sending myself a reminder right now. But, like, once you clear all of, like, the prologue stuff, it opens it up and you can go pick. Okay, I want to do this story. I want to do this combat event. And then, like, eventually it'll force you to do one or the other. So once it opened up, I was kind of caught with selection paralysis. And I was like, what do I do now? So there's that. I, I think my problem with that game, at least to start off with, is the story bits are absolutely beautiful. Like, the actual animation and the backgrounds are beautifully drawn the combat not so much oh interesting because you're basically looking down at like a wireframe hud map you don't even really see the mecha that your pilots are driving around in like when you're selecting their attacks it has a little animation that plays next to them and it'll show it there but you don't see any of that which is one of the things i'm like so they took the pokemon route is what i'm hearing I'm still going to play more of it. I just haven't yet. I kind of like the idea. The storyline is wacky, and I'm not entirely sure exactly what the storyline actually is because it's all over the place. Zooming in on the combat a little bit. You've played a front mission, right? Mm-hmm. In, um, I played front mission three that I borrowed from you after you borrowed it from Ed. That's fair. I think that's front mission four, actually, but whatever. I don't know. That one. How does it compare in terms of like how the animations are presented? Well, Front Mission 3 is far better in the animation department because Aegis Rim, you don't really have them. Okay, that's what I thought. I just wanted to, like, make sure. Interesting. What a weird choice. I know. It's so strange, especially because, like, yes, it's on the Switch now, but this game initially launched on the PS4. Well, and even, like, the Switch is way more powerful than the PS2, so... (laughs) Yeah, so it's so weird that they chose to go with such a low, like, animation set for that. I genuinely do not understand the decision made here. I bet it was budgetary. Yeah, that's actually... I I guess it would be a budget title. I was going to look up who uh, developed it um, to see, like... um, It turns out it's Vanillaware, a company I've never heard of. 
published by Atlas. Well, yeah, but I don't know how much Atlas actually does to like help the developer do stuff. I actually don't know what publishers do on average other I than the marketing. It was made by the same guys that made Odin Sphere. I don't think so. Um, I think Odin Sphere is actually one of the only in-house Atlas games, but I might be wrong about that. I mean, they do the Persona games and the Shinten games. Oh, yeah, no, they, these guys did Odin Sphere. They have made a grand total of... Okay, never mind. Wikipedia. Google's summary of Wikipedia is terrible, and I should not trust it. It's like, they've only made Odin Sphere and this game. Yeah, um, okay, if you say they made Odin Sphere, then them having bad visuals does seem very weird all of a sudden. The visuals on the, like, story bits are amazing. Yeah, but even in the combat stuff, because in Odin Sphere, the visuals on both... The visuals on everything look great in Odin Sphere. The visuals on eating some meat look great in Odin Sphere, so... Better or worse than the animation for Monster Hunter 4? I mean, the thing about the modern... It's very, very different, right? Yeah. Monster Hunter 4, it's a whole, like, celebration cutscene. That's like comparing a cutscene to an animation. Like, what's better, Mario jumping animation in Mario 64, or that one time Legolas did Super Mario at the end of The Hobbit 3 <laughs> for some reason, and no one knows why? Yeah, no, the answer is, they've only made eight games ever, and this is their first PS4 game, so I'm wondering if they, like, were going to do something more and then ran into increasingly complicated. They also mostly make 2D games, so I'm, like, wondering if they had trouble, like, doing 3D modeling for the animations or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It's a, like I said, it's a top-down thing. Uh, I like the idea behind the game, which is one of the reasons why I bought it in the first place, so... Yeah, no, it sounds rad. I'm, like, kind of interested. I might wait until you finish it to see if I'm going to pick it up, but it's, like, actually kind of on my list of new-ish games I might pick up, so... I'm uh, still playing Darkest Dungeon on and off. I have both you and James recommending it to me now. That's almost critical mass of humans I know recommending Darkest Dungeon. Now, Ed just needs to recommend it, and you can ignore him. <laughs> Ed's never played it, I don't think, so... I'm sure he owns it, though. I mean, who doesn't? Who does not own Darkest Dungeon? I actually just picked up Monster Train this last weekend, um, which is kind of a similar vibe. Um, I've heard it's really good. Actually, one of our listeners recommended it, actually. I'm like, well, fine. I guess I'll pick it up if it's more addicting than Slay the Spire. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I haven't played it yet, so... Anything else, Zach? Probably, but I'm currently drawing a blank done a lot of reading the last couple of months. I read seven of the Goblin Slayer light novels. I don't own any more of them. I currently am out, but... I got through, like, 20 more pages of my History of Botany book, so... How far are you in Spider? Um, where did I say was the last time you asked? And by that, I mean the time before that, and by that, I mean the time before that, and by that, I think, I mean back in October... So October uh, is where he is. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think I have finished up through four, but that has not changed. Volume since... fourteen is set to release in a couple I know, months. Here, I know. I haven't been reading a lot. I haven't been doing. The problem is, I am trying to run a business, and that no, is taking a lot of time recently. And I started a new job. I've gotten enough of these things started now and whatnot that I had to make a note in my phone to keep track of what the next volume for each series is. Well, Tyler, what have you been playing since you haven't been reading or training monsters? What have I been playing? Uh, more, I think, of the stuff I was playing last time. Most I've been grinding on a couple things uh, because I want to finish them off before picking up anything else big. I picked up Tunic and I haven't played it yet and I'm very, very excited for it. I've heard mostly good things about it. I've never heard of that. It's a Zelda-ish game. Yeah, it's what if, what if Link wore a fox? 
<laughs> is my understanding of this game. Isn't that just what is it, Twilight Princess? No, no that's, that's what a wolf. if Link were a wolf. <laughs> totally different concept, Zach. <laughs> um, I've been grinding on Skull. I got to the penultimate mini boss. That is as far as I've gotten. I'm so close. I've kind of started playing around with like I wasn't making any progress for a long time, so I started playing around with like different ways of using my resources over the course of a run, and that seems to have paid off a lot. Mostly in that the basic skull turns out kind of kicks ass, and that you should just keep that around until you have enough to fully evolve one skull, and then you can start working on another one. Unless it just like throws a random legendary at you or something. Still a very fun game. Highly, I managed to get like three other people playing it. So if that's any recommendation, well, that is a recommendation. That's that's just it. Um, <laughs> never. Well, it's not your type of game at all, I think, but... Probably not. You probably wouldn't bounce off of it immediately, but I, I can't see you getting super into it. Um, what else? Um, I'm still playing uh, Legends Arceus because I really want to finish the main quest of Catch Every Pokemon, so I'm currently going through my Pokedex and doing, like, the random tasks. One day I'll finish that them. game. Um, how far did you get? The snow place. And I never <laughs> actually went there. They were just like, hey, go to this snow place. I mean, I don't know that there is anything new for that game to offer you at oh, this point. Fl- flying. I mean, okay, that does actually make travel a lot less inconvenient, but... Catching God. I've well, done that so many times. Yeah, Zach. right. Um, I mean, there's a new form of Palkia and Dialga in this game. I'm aware. Palkia or Dialga. No, you get both eventually. You only get one of the primals. You get both eventually. Oh, is there a side quest on one of them? Yep. Yeah, you, uh, whichever one you don't pick up as, like, the thing you choose, you get a side quest to go do the other. So, it is not a terrible choice. Yeah, mostly I've been grinding on that in my free time occasionally. I've been playing Smash occasionally. Oh, uh, that's the thing I've been playing, uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Uh, How is that? It's quite fun. I mean, it's a Kirby game, so, like... Are there any that. cool powers? You get gun. There's just guns now. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a pretty strong power. Uh, th- haven't I talked about that on the podcast yet? I, I don't think so. I don't remember you talking about it. The interesting thing with the powers is that there's actually a pretty limited set of them by comparison to other Kirby games. There's only like 12 or 15 or something. The thing that makes them interesting is that you can actually upgrade them into not necessarily just stronger, but also kind of different abilities. Like bigger gun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, like the, the gun progression, I think is actually one of the more linear ones. Sword is kind of interesting because you go from like kind of standard ass Kirby sword if you have played a game with a Kirby sword ability in it, which is most of them. The second upgrade for sword is actually plays a lot more like hammer usually does and that you have like big swings and like a shield that you can put down. And then the next upgrade is Meta Knight sword. So you like spec into just wild mobility. Um, so you're overpowered. Yeah, you're, you're overpowered. You're from Brawl. Uh, there, yeah. <laughs> ha, 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 sha, ha. I saw a really good picture of this one did the other day of uh, just titled Meta Knight's uh, Up Air and it's Meta Knight holding a ladder, um, <laughs> which is pretty dang good uh, it, because it's called a ladder combo uh, for for Zach and or the other uninitiated. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's fun. Uh, they're do it just playing through the game. Like if you just want to beat the game, pretty easy. It's a Kirby game. If you want to do all the side quests and stuff, pretty hard uh, because it's a Kirby game. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's got like some uh, specific side stages things. I'm trying to. They're called Treasure Roads, I think, uh, where you have to use one ability to accomplish, like, a specific challenge, and those are pretty fun. So, I don't know. I've also been playing with Alex, which I think has been both increasing my enjoyment of it and causing me to play it way slower than I would on my own. So Probably. I I actually just remembered one of the other games I've been playing recently. 
What yeah, have you, I was what actually else have you been playing, Tyler. I was actually going to say it's your turn to interrupt me. Um, <laughs> Finally, after all these years, I've been slowly chewing my way through the Super Robot Wars 30th game. Like it's a slow, it's slow going because of how quickly everybody gets overpowered. So it's like I, I'm one-shotting things with certain characters. Like I think I one-shot a boss with my main character. That's dumb. You, um, it's so the game is so easy. I'm at the point where like, I'm just going to go ahead and ace everybody, and my character's just kind of hanging out because of a bonus I have. I thought you had already beaten this one. No, I'm not, okay. I'm not beating this one. I fell off of it because of how easy it is. It gets to the point where it's like, yep. Yeah. So I'll load it up, play like two, three stages, and then set it down again. Because it's like, yeah, there's not even really an interesting story because of the way they broke it up in this one. Because that's kind of the draw of them is like, see all the like, well, they're, your they're, character they're juxtapositions. Easy, but because they have it so that you can pick where you go, the story... Wor- functions in kind of a wacky progression thing because it's not it has to take into account what levels you've already done or it doesn't have to take into the ones you've already done because like it doesn't know which characters you have because it doesn't necessarily know which stages you've already completed yeah so someone didn't take the time to write all that right (laughs) yeah so that would be wild it only each incident only basically has a couple of characters. Yeah, the only good part is sort of like, let's not let Lelouch and Char in the same room together. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got all the DLC, so like I've got all the characters from. Well, I guess I don't have all the DLC anymore. They added more, but like there's a couple of characters that I don't. I, I think they're from Sakura Wars. But so I've you have Ultraman, and yeah. I don't remember who else <laughs> that DLC. I mean, it did make me laugh because the I think it's the Ultraman and the. I can't remember what they're called, but they basically have the same robot. It's one of the five-man, like, Voltron-type teams. Gotcha. And there's a whole stage about them being rivals at each other, so that's Because they great. have the same robot. Because they basically have the same robot and the same team and all that, so... Like, it's fine. It's not what I wanted again, but it's fine. Anything else, Tyler? Uh, yeah, I got one thing I wanted to talk about in particular, and I think it's a game I'm actually going to pick up. And I will preface this by saying, this is the most fun I've ever had playing Dead by Daylight. Um, <laughs> it is, I think, just called the Evil Dead game. Uh, oh, came yeah. out recently. I saw a three-hour Let's Play of that by someone I like, and I was like, I don't know when I'm going to have three hours to watch someone play video games. I guess I'll put this on my watch eventually list. So it, I haven't actually looked at it. It's surprisingly fun. Well, I mean, I guess, like I said, it's the most fun I've had playing Dead by Daylight. Call me um, when there's Drag Me to Hell DLC, because I will be all <laughs> over that. Is that the TV show? No, Drag Me to Hell is uh, a Sam, another Sam Raimi. Okay, gotcha. With Justin Long in it. In addition to the production quality just being kind of like, they put all those like fun little like nods and stuff in there. They got a lot of really fun voice lines. They brought back pretty much the entire cast to do all the acting for this. So, kind of cool. Mostly you have like classes of survivors that are... Sp- and between the individual representatives of those classes, they have slightly different abilities. But, like, mostly they have, like, leader and person who punches monsters and uh So they're basically support. taking that basic uh, premise that Dead by Daylight ran itself on? Yeah, the different... One, it's a much more limited cast of characters. And two, the difference is that you actually have, like, passive enemies just all over the place that you have... So you're dealing with a horde of essentially zombies while also trying to find your stuff. And the tasks you have are a little bit different. So it starts out having to find map pieces. Once you do that, you have two known locations of things you have to go do. And it is up to the survivors which ones they want to do first. Um, And the hunter doesn't know which one they're going to go do. But they do have to do both eventually. Um, And then once they do that, there's like a final stage thing where they have to like basically tank a bunch of damage while like knocking off a 
like end boss thing. That is the standard gameplay right now. What makes it interesting is that the hunter can't directly interact with anything, really. So you are like a floating incorporeal spirit flying around laying sca- like jump scare traps for people. So one of the major mechanics is like the fear meter on survivors can go up and if it gets high enough, you can possess them temporarily and like mess up the party dynamic by like wasting everyone. Like if one person is carrying like the, the crossbow or like some special weapon, you can possess them and use all their ammo for it so that they no longer have that resource available. It's a really interesting mechanic. The other thing that you can do that everyone can do is, uh, well, in addition to that, you also can possess minions you summon and just be the minion for a moment. You can possess trees, you can possess cars and move them around. So if they're driving the car, you can possess the car and try to drive it off a cliff. <laughs> it's it's really goofy. Oh, there's one other thing, but I'll get there in a second. Uh, the other way you can directly interact with them is like you can put skill points um, per match into like summoning portals where you can summon regular minions, elite minions, and also the boss character, and they all function slightly differently, but they all kind of have a theme. There are three different classes of hunters, which are like punchy guy, uh, guy who's good at possessing, and guy who's good at summoning just like lots and lots of minions. Um, so it kind of like focuses on each of the three major interaction elements. I don't know, it's a really interesting system. What makes it also kind of interesting is that you invest skill points over the course of a match so you like you find resources like laying. moba style almost uh yeah kind of like moba style yeah um so you can choose how to build your character over the course of a match to respond to stuff and it's also kind of plays like an arena shooter combat thingy in that you find equipment over the course of the map so in addition to having a time limit you're kind of like wanting to press your luck on exploring places to see if you can find more like better weapons or something but also, the more you're in a place, the more likely it is that you're going to make noise and draw the hunter to you. And if you stay in that place after you've made noise, then the hunter's going to come and, like, drive up your fear meter. Which So it's, like, a really interesting, like, push-your-luck mechanic for the survivors while also being, like, a very interesting, like, tactical situation for the hunter. It, it's really fun to play both sides. I played, like, eight online matches um, and, and an approximately equal split between them. So it's a lot of fun. I've liked it quite a bit. I've never watched an Evil Dead movie, though, so a lot of the references are lost on me. They're fine. Uh, (laughs) Evil Dead was something up because of Multiverse of Madness, which was a Sam Raimi movie. I've been thinking about Evil Dead a lot, and people have been bringing it up. Evil Dead is a... I was not allowed to watch it when I was a kid because it was rated R, and a bunch of kids thought it was very cool. So what it was in my head and what it actually is are completely different. And so my perception of Evil Dead is pretty borked because of that. Because it's, like, mostly a comedy, really. Yeah, well, but, like, especially because Evil I Dead wasn't 2. allowed to watch it and people are like, oh, it's so cool, Jeremy. There's all the blood and stuff. I didn't really get that. And so when I actually watched it, I was like, this is not the movie I thought it was. I've never seen it either. Well, it's always been talked up as super campy to me, which is yes. actually why I want to watch it. So. And that's why I love Dragon Dead 2. Well, yes, but that's the one I anyone cares about. And Army of Darkness is even more campy. It's not even a horror movie, really. And then they made a TV show that is basically just more Army of Darkness, but yes. not. Anything else, Tyler? Um, I think that is actually it. I was like pondering my Steam library, and I don't think I've actually played games through Steam in quite a while. So yeah, I think that's it. What about you, Jeremy? Well, you see, I got DC Universe Online to read some comics, and then my brother as a gift got me Marvel Unlimited. So I haven't, and I wanted to play Banjo Tooie. So I haven't played a lot. Mostly when it's not been Banjo Tooie, I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV. I am now. In the current expansion. So I am now in oh content that did not exist when I started playing Final Fantasy XIV. You, you have made progress? Yes. 
I can see the end. I'm almost caught up on Final Fantasy XIV. Congratulations. I was going to say, so what is your plan when you get to the end of the current content, assuming they don't come out with another DLC between now and you finishing it? I don't know, because it depends on where Kevin is in many places, because he is still playing and he is at Endgame. So we might raid together. He might be like, yeah, I have a raid group. Jeremy, you have to go find your own friends. And I might find a raid group. I may or may not raid when I get to the point. I kind of want to, but it's kind of an awkward phase where the expansion came out five months ago, so I don't know how easy it'll be to find a group. You only need eight people for a raid group in Final Fantasy, though, so I probably can find one. a lot easier than the full 40 you needed for original raids, and wow. Yeah. Was that a mandatory number? I, You could technically do it with fewer, but... Okay. It was not easy to do it with fewer. It, it was designed for that number. Yeah. Didn't Burning Crusade, when Burning Crusade came out, it changed a lot of those to like 25? Yeah. Well, uh, 25 is the standard raid size in Burning Crusade. And then I think it went down to 20 in Cataclysm. And now it's between 10 and 20 and it scales to you. So yeah, just a lot of Final Fantasy and Banjo-Tooie, which is what we played this week. And Banjo-Tooie is a game I could go on for for a very long time. I loved Banjo-Tooie when it was a kid. Because it did what I wanted every sequel to do, which is it just kind of picks off where Banjo-Kazooie ends. It doesn't Metroid you, and it makes a very big deal of that. You start out with all of the abilities you had in Banjo-Kazooie, except for one which they've removed from the game, which is just your basic punch. It's been replaced with a pecking attack that's slightly more useful. And I just wanted every video game to sequel to start like that, which is a terrible idea. (laughs) <laughs> because the game I realized that Banjo-Tooie is most comparable in this playthrough is Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels, aka Super Mario Brothers 2. The one that we liked worse than the original. Yeah. Well, the one that the people who made it liked so little, they were like, America doesn't need that. Yeah, it didn't even come out in America. Because very few games design their sequels as if you played the first one, because that's just limiting your market. But I kind of like that Banjo-Tooie did that. I liked it a lot as a kid. And I think there's a lot of merit to it, but it creates a game that starts... The first level of Banjo-Tooie is not as hard as the last level of Banjo-Kazooie, no. or as complicated. But by the third level, you're getting there, and you get there very quickly. And the final level of Banjo-Kazooie is already maybe a little more complex than it needs to be. For a final level, that's fine. It's the one, if you're not familiar that is season-based, so you basically go through the same level four different times, but it's a different season every time, so things change, and things you do in previous seasons affect later seasons. They took a lot of those ideas for the level design in Banjo-Tooie. Which are cool for, like, one set-piece level, in my opinion, and kind of get tedious after a while. Yes. Sounds like it would get tedious right off the bat. That sounds annoying. Well, I mean, I like that sort of callback stuff because it makes you think about stuff, but you don't want to have to do that for the entire game game. So, yeah, it's very similar to like Zelda games. A lot of puzzles in Ocarina of Time are you do something as a kid, which has an effect when you're an adult. And that is a cool setup. But in Ocarina of Time, you only have two states, kid and adult. And you can go be a kid, set up all the stuff and then go be an adult and reap all the rewards. And never really had to redo anything. It's like, you can't really mess up. You just do the thing. And doing the thing is the puzzle. Yeah. And I think they just wanted to make the game more complex because they were like, okay, we already did Banjo-Kazooie. Let's move on. And I think if you look at the development of this game, it reveals a lot of why it's this way. Because a lot of the elements and levels in Banjo-Tooie were things designed for Banjo-Kazooie that they were like, hey, we have to ship this game sometime this year. 
So they didn't <laughs> actually get made. A supposedly glitter gulch mine, the second level in Banjo-Tooie, was completely done in Kazooie, and they just cut it for time. And a lot of the levels are even referenced in Banjo-Tooie. There's the joke near the... Or, I'm sorry. And a lot of the levels are even referenced in the first game. There's a recurring NPC in Banjo-Kazooie that the last time you see them goes say, says, ah, screw you, I'm going off to the lava world, which does not exist in Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, but, man, I just always assumed that was a dumb joke. Yeah, but they show up in the lava world in <laughs> Banjo-Tooie. <laughs> Interesting callback. Well, it's a call forward. They knew they... Well, I shouldn't say call forward. But the game was originally designed with a lava world that he was going to go to. And that was cut, so they used it for Banjo-Tooie. A lot of the ideas in Banjo-Tooie are just cut Banjo-Kazooie ideas. And I think that's a lot of why they went with this system where you start out with all the abilities you you had at the end of Banjo-Kazooie. I also think it's in part that the Banjo-Kazooie moveset is not that complex. There's not like, oh man, there's so much I can do. How do I play this game? It was complex for the time because people didn't understand how to play 3D games and you needed your handheld through them. But you have so much fewer actions at the start of this game than you have in the start of an average video game that comes out today. I mean, you're the least familiar with these sorts of games, Zach. Did the starting control scheme seem at all overwhelming to you? Not particularly. I think I pretty much grasped everything I needed to know to get around the levels pretty quick. Did you go through the optional tutorial? Because it also does have an optional tutorial. There's a tutorial? Well, if you go up to the molehills, it'll be like, hey, like, this is how you do this move. Oh, I went to one of them and was like, and it was like, here's how you control the camera. I'm like, yeah, I already know how to do this. Yeah, I'm gone. Um, I assume, did you guys both play the Xbox Live Arcade version? I did. Okay. Yes. Uh, apparently they redid the controls and like slightly have to do the graphics for the Xbox port. Yeah. The only thing that's really noticeable is, uh, the character who gives you new moves rhymes in this game. A few of the rhymes do not work on the 360 version. And I couldn't figure it out for a while. I'm like, oh, it's because they changed the control to tell you how to actually do the move and they didn't change the rhyme. That makes sense. (laughs) But there are a few I was saying, I'm like, that doesn't even close to rhyme. What are they trying to do here? That groundhog? Yeah. He's a mole, but yes. Same thing. Bottles. No, uh, it's his brother Jam Jars in this. Bottles oh, yeah. First one. You're, you're absolutely correct. It is Jam Jars. Which is not a good joke. So. It's not. Bottles is dead in this one. Yep. That is true. He does die. Yeah, in the... I don't know. I really like the opening and any cutscene for this game. It's weird how long they are, but it's a matter of they're the only cutscenes in this game. So, like, they get away with it. And by how long they are, I mean, like, 15 minutes. That's not too long for an opening cutscene. It's just because it's a video game story and it's nonsense. It's uh, <laughs> And it's nonsense. Feels a little long. Well, it really depends on which game you're looking at. This particular brand of game it yeah. doesn't need one other than a frame. Yeah, this is not a story-driven game, right? Like, Yeah, it's not an RPG where the story is largely part of the game. We do not need to summon Vala four or five times. But I think in comparison to Banjo-Kazooie, Tui is lacking a lot of polish. There's just a lot of things in Kazooie that they didn't need to do and they did. Like... Grunty talking to you in her lair, all those like really dumb jokes she gives you. There's no equivalent in this. Yeah, which I always found kind of disappointing. Like there's less atmosphere overall, which is weird. There's also the health bar in Banjo-Kazooie. This is a thing that I don't know a lot of people notice, but it's got a little animation. The lower your health, like Banjo and Kazooie get sadder and sadder and get happy when it's up. They don't even reuse that in this game. It's just a static health bar. It's perfectly functional. That's how most games health bars work, but it's a lack of polish that the original had. Well, again, it kind of depends on which ones you're looking at. Most of them do generally just have that, but like 
Doom's health bar yep. does the same thing. Well, I think he's more saying that we appreciate it when it happens, and it's weird that they went back on it, considering they already had the assets. Yeah, that is true. I think they took a lot of criticism of Banjo-Kazooie and applied it, but didn't think what applying it meant. Uh, one of the big things is, if you're familiar with Banjo-Kazooie, they have notes as a mechanic, which are a thing you need to collect. In Banjo-Kazooie, they're used to open doors. Notes are basically designed to work like Mario coins or Sonic rings, in that they just are all over the place, they kind of guide your movement, and they are a little dopamine reward because they play a nice sound effect when you get them. There is a problem with notes in Banjo-Kazooie that's fixed in the Xbox Live version if you play it, where they could not uh, figure out a way to program it so the N64 would remember persistently notes you collected, which was how they designed the game, but they couldn't pull it off, which meant that instead of just collecting a note and you had it forever, all the notes would respawn every time you went to the level. And because notes were used for progression and they didn't want you to just grind the level over and over again, they made a mechanic where you had to get all of the notes in one life and one trip or it wouldn't count. Uh, if you went there again, you had to get more notes than a previous time to increase your total number of notes, which obviously stuck. It was a technical levitation. It wasn't good. They fixed it in the 360 version, but it existed. In order to fix that in 2E, they just greatly reduced the number of notes. They made it so anytime you collect notes, they're in batches of 5 or 20. But that kind of completely negates the original purpose of them, which is to work like Mario coins to guide you in levels and give you little bits of dopamine. They're just sort of scattered around. Because on any level, there are only 17 places to collect notes, which just makes it so that you don't have that positive feeling towards them. I'm wondering why that was even a technical limitation. Like, did they just not have enough memory in the save file? That would so be my guess. It's like something like that. Thing. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but yeah, it was some sort of, they thought they were going to be able to do it. And I they just, like proof of concept did it, but then it didn't work for some reason. I just like give every note. Uh, yeah, no, I'm increasingly seeing why this might be a problem the more I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and, and like I said, they reduce it to only 17 locations in TUI, and therefore you can just collect them all. It does work as originally intended. What do you think they bought themselves by changing that around? Oh, well, they made it so that it works as intended. You don't have to collect the notes multiple times. But I think it they've lost what the original purpose of the notes were and maybe they didn't understand why mario had coins and sonic has rings because it's not for the extra life that's just to incentivize you to collect them they're to guide you in levels and because the sound effect that plays when you get a coin gives you a little bit of dopamine which is a super tiny reward you get frequently yeah it's not a big hit but it's a frequent and easy one yeah, yeah. well and I, I think specifically also the level guiding is like great from a like design standpoint like if you think of how most platformers are set up like there are trails of these little breadcrumbs that you can follow and usually there's something at the end of them like most games will give you something for following an obscure trail somewhere but i mean obviously most 2d platformers it's pretty hard to get lost but even in those the coins serve to like show you what arcs you should jump over and give you stuff like that. So they still serve a purpose. Yeah, or like in more complex 2D platformers, they will like show you hidden paths or something. But yeah. Yeah, really the collectibles in this game are kind of weird. Yeah, well, I was going to transition into that because you have also, in addition to notes, you have three other sort of similar collectibles in Banjo-Kazooie, which are eggs, which are your ammunition, feathers, red feathers, which you use to fly, and gold feathers, which are a more powerful weapon, basically. Gold feathers are... I, I was pretty They're uncommon like, in Banjo-Kazooie. Like, you you can go get them, you can farm them if you want, they respawn every time, but they're not littered around everywhere. And you don't have a they're huge capacity. Everywhere yes. in Tui. Yes, they are. I think Tui... That was the only thing I couldn't figure out what they were supposed to... How I was supposed to use them. 
Uh, I also because, didn't try very hard. Yeah, it's also on the uh, 360. It's mapped really awkwardly. It's like uh, one of the triggers and I think right on the stick because it's it's Z and uh, C right on N64 controller, which is oh. a reasonable thing. But on 360, there wasn't a good way to map C right. So they just went to a default of there. Because unlike the N64 controller, every controller that's come out since has been sensibly laid out, except for the Wii. It's wild to me that they didn't just, like, give you a hold a shoulder button and press one of these instead of well, the... They, every other thing for that is, they just didn't have one for C-Write, basically. <laughs> Why not? Sure. It's fine. It's because they have four buttons, but one of them has to be A and one of them has to be B. That's so they're, they're just one shy, because they use the second trigger for C-Left, but they just don't have one left over for C-Write. But like Zach said, these are in this one, they're littered everywhere, both eggs and feathers, because one of the big gimmicks for this is you have five different types of eggs. But the game didn't want you to ever not have the eggs you needed for certain puzzles. So any group of eggs just cycles between them. And they're in groups of 20 as opposed to groups of one. And similar with feathers. It just goes between red and gold because there are certain puzzles that require them. So they basically just decided, oh, we never want the player to not have the resources they need. But the problem there is then why make them limited resources? And because I don't think this game got far enough to ask that question or answer it. And that's one of the design problems that, like, you can see how they got there. Every step along the way makes sense. But where they ended up landing isn't a great spot. It's not a bad spot. It's probably better than being able to get through the game and then just realize, oh, I need this thing I don't have. And I have to backtrack 50 screens to go get it. Well, I mean, that kind of idea is one of the reasons why you have seen much more of the change towards the regenerating health and, like, shooters is because that way the designer can assume every time that someone comes to a new challenge, they're going to have full resources or relatively close to full resources. I was actually thinking, uh, what was that prequel to River City Ransom that we played? Oh, it's not Crashing the Boys. No, similar vibe, though. Um, whatever that game was had a really interesting approach to it because of ba- like every scene it put you in, you started at... You started fresh, basically. So, like, each individual scene is its own challenge, which, you know, there are pros and cons to that approach, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's pros and cons to either approach. Yeah. Another thing that I think they took as criticism from the first game and misapplied in this one is the way that Mumbo works. One of the big gimmicks of Banjo-Kazooie is Mumbo-Jumbo in different levels turning you into different animals, which you use to solve various problems. In the first game, Mumbo's in about half the levels. He's in five out of nine. And so a lot of people are like, it's too bad Mumbo isn't in here more because that's a unique mechanic of the game. And it would be cool. Like, what would you turn into on the beach? It would be cool if you could turn you into a shark, well, right? And you don't have to spend a whole lot of time as whatever he turns you into in any one level. So it's like not a huge problem, I think. So this game has each level has a thing to transform you into. And that's cool on the surface, but some of them just feel perfunctory and like some of them are better than others is what it basically comes down to. There is weirdly less variety in how they behave in this game than I think in the first one. Well, when you're forcing yourself to add a mechanic because people are wanting it, you tend to lose a little bit of the creativity that actually made people like that mechanic in the first place. Yeah, like I feel like in the first game they just came up with so like, oh, this would be funny or like this would be fun. And, like, those are the things they implemented, and anything they couldn't come up with a good idea for, they just didn't. So, and I feel like they yeah. just did in this one. They were like, oh, well, I mean, we don't need anything for the beach because no one has come up with a decent puzzle for it to be useful. So they just didn't include it. Whereas in this one, like, well, we need one on the beach because we have one everywhere else. What's it going to be used for? I don't know. Put something at the bottom of a lake over there. 
And this is another spot where you can see ideas that they had from Kazooie that they used here. Because in Kazooie, there are Easter eggs where you can get turned into a washing machine or a T-Rex temporarily as jokes in Kazooie, which are full-on transformations here that use the same assets. And that's kind of a cool Easter egg in the way these two games behave. Uh, And those are two of the better transformations also. Yeah, the washing machine in particular is the one I was thinking of. But I think it's another case where they took genuine, well-meaning criticism and sort of misapplied the solution. Because not only is there a transformation in every level, but they also added Mumbo Jumbo as a playable character, which is a cool idea because he's, one of, again, one of the most memorable parts of the first game. But in addition to that, one of the main gimmicks of this game is you can split Banjo and Kazooie into two separate characters, Banjo and Kazooie, which have different movesets. Which means on every level, there are five different states you can be in to solve puzzles. Banjo and Kazooie, Banjo or Kazooie, Mumbo, whatever animal he turns you into. Yes. Which is uh, basically just approaching Donkey Kong 64. So- <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm approaching. We're not there yet. It's not nearly as bad as Donkey Kong 64, which literally makes you recollect everything as every character and is terrible. Remind me of an aside in like five minutes. Okay. Um, the unfortunate thing is, while some of them are interesting, it's really cool to see a Jiggy and go like, oh, I can't get this, but maybe if I was Kazooie, I would have the right moveset. And so sometimes the system works really well. Other times, it's just you have to track again and again as different characters. Mumbo in particular, while it's a very cool idea to play as him, only ends up working as a funny-shaped key. All you ever need Mumbo to do is go to a platform to do his thing, some of which are cool and interesting, some of which are boring and rote. And then that just opens up a state for the characters later. There's one really bad one in the ice level where you literally need to go to a platform as Mumbo, do the thing, go back, change to Banjo and Kazooie, go destroy a boulder that you can now destroy, go back, be Mumbo, and go do the exact same thing now that the boulder's destroyed. And that's probably the worst part of the game as a low point. And to be fair, as a low point, that's not bad. But it's literally just making you track back and forth. That's tedious, busy work. Exactly. And there's like, there is a lot of tedious busy work in this game none of it's i think as bad as that one but yeah, that's easily the worst but that one like i that stuck in my mind from at being a kid of how annoying that was so uh, did you want to go on your thing the aside i mentioned is uh space station silicon valley which i think i am the only one at the table who has ever played uh, i've never even heard of it it's ringing a weird bell i think i rented it once and like played it is an n64 game yeah i think i rented it and played it for like five hours it is Unfort- it is a weird game in that, like, so we're talking the number of different states you can be in. Uh, the the gimmick in Space Station Silicon Valley is that you have fairly well-scoped little sandbox puzzles. They're all about the size of Mario 64 levels, but they're populated with digital animals, and each digital animal has a unique set of abilities. It only really has, like, two abilities and maybe one unique property about it, like some of them float, some of them can swim, uh, some of them can fly, etc., And your goal is to just explore the level looking for the MacGuffins. There's like five in each level and figuring out which animals you need to do which things. And like they're pretty interesting and well telegraphed puzzles, but you do have to switch between states a lot. And you can definitely get into situations where like, oops, I accidentally tossed the one animal I needed for this off a cliff. So I guess I had to restart the entire damn level. It's an interesting juxtaposition because like there are more states, but I find Silicon Valley more interesting. But also it's a much smaller space to deal with. The thing about games like this, these 3D platformers from the late 90s, is that if you're a reviewer who has to play them for your job, what you will reduce these games down to is saying, oh, you just collect things. Because ultimately, that is the end game of these games. But that's not actually what they're about. What they're about is space navigation. The things you collect are just 
different things you can put in place is to say, hey, you got to get here, and you got to get here, and you got to get here. And if you enjoy these games, what you enjoy about them is the movement and figuring out how to get places. The collectible at the end is just the, you did it. Which is it, why I find them so tedious and boring, because I don't find that kind of thing yeah. fun, personally. Yeah, it's yeah. A, for me, it's like a technical challenge. It's the same reason I enjoy, like, super tight 2D platformers, is like, how how good can I get at moving this character around? Generally speaking, if I want a technical challenge like that, I generally play a racing game like Shift or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's a very it's, similar form of mastery, it's, but... It's just scratching a slightly different itch. Exactly. It's just a criticism I wanted to address, because I feel like saying these games are all about collecting things is like saying shooters are about getting to ends of levels. That That's patently <laughs> not true. I mean, it, obviously it comes down to, to personal preference, because I always feel like it's just one big Easter egg hunt, but that's my that's how I feel about it because these aren't my kind of games that's why i've been so quiet on this episode is because i don't really have a lot to add to what jeremy is saying i got through about an hour of this game and had to set it down because i was bored out of my skull the point i wanted to bring up though is banjo 2e is at its best when it lets you get somewhere with a character that lets you see where you need to go and go oh i get it i need this character to do this or i need these two characters to interact this way which is what the game is about 10 to 20 percent of the time it's kind of that same uh, idea as we mentioned on Ace Attorney, where when you figure out the puzzle yourself, you feel good. So when you find it and say, oh, I need to do this, 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 and this, and this is how I can do all of that, you feel good. Whereas when you're like, oh, I, I, you, seriously, I got to go back and do the seriously? The way I think about games like this, and I think Prince of Persia actually exemplifies this, or Prince of, like the Prince of Persia lineage, is like I actually view these games more as puzzle games with a technical component to completing the puzzle. You have to figure out the route you need to take to do a thing, and then you need to actually be able to do the thing that you just figured out. And sometimes you come up with, like, Celeste, I think, is an excellent example of this for a 2D platformer. Is like, part of the time, the way you need to navigate through the level is not terribly intuitive, and you have to try it a couple times to see, to, like, figure out what movement options are available to you to do a thing. And while I agree with you, I think one of the reasons Mario Odyssey took off so much and was the game in this genre that people cared about for the first time in 10 years is that it allowed you to do a lot of technical things that were not the way the puzzle was intended to solve, but you could just outplay the game, basically. And there were places you could get to that you were kind of, I don't want to say not intended to get to, but that like were not puzzle-solved places, that you needed technical skill to get to, and Nintendo put giant sacks of Scrooge McDuck coins there to reward <laughs> you for getting there, because you don't need to get here. There's not a star here. This isn't where you're supposed to go. But it's pretty cool you got here, so here have a treasure vault. And I do like that they had the foresight to realize that, yeah, you could abuse the system to get here. We'll just put something here just in case. I, I like that idea, too, because there are way too many games that are like, no, you're not allowed to be here. Why, were, why are you breaking the game? Instead of just being like, wow, you got here? I'm impressed. I was playing, I can't remember which game it was recently, but I was playing something recently where it had, like, a bunch of random places to go, oh, it's Pokemon Legends, actually. <laughs> this is my one big complaint with Pokemon Legends, is that it doesn't really encourage thorough exploration of its spaces, because it doesn't put things at the end of the spaces. It's just there. You go there, and there's nothing there. And that's, I think, another credit to Banjo-Tooie, is there are oftentimes ways you can get to this uh, place you're supposed to go without doing the actual solution to the problem. A lot of times, unfortunately, it feels like you cheated the game, rather than like you outsmarted the game. But at least it does let you do that. The final thing I wanted to bring up about Banjo-Tooie is one of its sort of central gimmicks that's not a thing you could put on the box, which is the train, which is, I think, a very interesting idea. Banjo-Tooie, like a lot of these games, is divided into nine different worlds, 
But one of the things that makes it sort of different and unique is that there are a bunch of secret areas that are less secret. These are things that you're intended to find to beat the game that let you connect the worlds. So you don't always have to go out to the hub. Most of the worlds, with the exception of the last world, all of the worlds connect to at least one other world on a spot. And with the exception of the first and last world, there is a train that goes between all of them that you need for certain puzzles. A lot of times you just use it to transport a thing from one world to the next. And that's a super interesting idea that makes the world feel more connected and is interesting. Unfortunately, a lot of times that just creates backtracking busy work, especially if you don't know you're going to need it later. But it is a cool idea, and I like that they did it. Yeah, and it's actually... uh... I kind of wanted to, I'm not sure if this is the point to do that. I kind of wanted to juxtapose this game with ukulele, mostly because it was this, made by the same of the... I haven't played ukulele. Yeah, and I was going to keep it fairly brief, but I think a lot of the... That, that is one of the things that they removed from ukulele that I actually kind of was hoping to see, uh, is that the worlds are not as interconnected as they are in Banjo-Tooie. But a lot of the like lessons they learned from Banjo-Kazooie to Banjo-Tooie, they seem to have applied further in ukulele uh, to the extent, like, it is a game I still, like think is charming and kind of endearing but it's not it's lacking the polish even of banjo tooie makes me wonder if a lot of the people who were giving a game as those kind of polish actually had departed the company when they first started those up banjo tooie i don't think so i think they were like i'm not sure what went ron is maybe not the right word it was i'm not sure what happened to banjo tooie probably striking trying to strike while the iron was hot I, I think there was that. I think there was probably some time pressure. I think Ukulele ran into budget problems uh, because they were a self-funded studio at that point. Let me say again, I have not played Ukulele. I actually don't think that's what the problem with it was, though. Like I said with Banjo-Kazooie Tatooie, a lot of the problems are them taking genuine feedback that was given to Kazooie and applying it but not considering the consequences and getting different problems, right? Well, and I do think... Okay. Creating new problems. Yeah. So the polish issue is not one of the problems I was talking about. Okay. Like, well, it's... Oh, let me finish my point. Sure. That, uh, I think the problem with ukulele is that people wanted a Banjo-Kazooie game again for like 10, 15 years, whatever the difference was. So there, it wasn't a lot of criticism. It was a lot of nostalgia. It was a lot of people forgetting the bad parts about Banjo-Tooie and just wanting another one, especially after Nuts and Bolts, which is a completely different, weird direction to go with the IP it's that basic, feels like a tease. It's basically just the, the characters strapped into an entirely different genre. It's like putting Master Chief into a baking simulator. Yeah, Ratchet I mean, and Clink did kind of the same thing, so I think there was a, or not, or Jack and Daxer is yeah. actually what I'm thinking of, did kind of the same thing. And so I think there was a precedent for the genre. To be fair to Nuts and Bolts, it does maintain the same tone and humor as the other games did. It's a little better than Master Chief in a baking simulator. It's more like Master Chief in a space racing game. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, it's not so, what fans of Banjo-Kazooie wanted. And so I think the overwhelming thing was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we got another Banjo-Kazooie game? There was the one they were working on that got canceled. And so I think they just didn't take the criticism because especially 15 years later, there aren't a lot of op-eds on what the problems with Banjo-Tooie are, right? Because they're not really problems with the game industry at large. Well, and when I say that I think they applied the same criticism, it's more like the problems with Banjo-Tooie are further exacerbated in ukulele. Yeah, and I think that happened because there wasn't a lot of criticism of Banjo-Tooie for them. Though. Like, the feedback existed 10 years ago, right? Yeah. It was it probably not what was on their mind when they were it making wasn't ukulele. front and center, so they weren't as easy, more... Bleh. It wasn't quite as easy for them to quick reference, okay, this is what people were saying about that, and that, here's what we can fix. And especially since I think what people were saying was, we want more of that, which I think was true, but also 
they weren't thinking about the problems because they hadn't played Banjo-Tooie in 10 years. Well, I feel like uh, you're probably right that people were saying this is what we want because it was a Kickstarted project, and that's kind of what Kickstarter means. Well, and, like, to be fair, it is, like, I think if you wanted more Banjo-Kazooie slash Banjo-Tooie, you got it with ukulele. I think the problem that a lot of people had with it is, one, it's not Banjo-Kazooie specifically, um, even though it hits a lot of the same notes. For, like, Which is a problem they can't solve. Yeah, and, like, that was a perfectly fine for me. Like, as, like aesthetically and tonally, like, hit all the marks. Like, that, it is exactly what I wanted. It got some great Grant Kerhope music. Great. The levels are just very poorly designed compared to what I'm they could have been. I'm just waiting for the Kickstarter where I'm disappointed in my purchase, honestly. No. I've never been disappointed oh, in by never... Kickstarter. Yeah, honestly, me neither. I didn't even get ukulele on Kickstarter. I just bought it after the fact. But And, and to be fair, I think Tui's levels are kind of not great either. I think it's another thing, though, where you remember the good ones. Like Witchy World, the theme park world, that one's great. Hailfire Peaks, that one's great. Pterodactyl Land, that's a dinosaur world. That one's great. You don't remember <laughs> Grunty Industries, which is literally hell. When I go to hell, I will be playing Grunty Industries for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and the problem is, those are the ones I remember. Oh, I see. And like, and so when I'm playing banjo or when I'm playing ukulele, I'm like, oh no, they just copy pasted Grunty Industries. Why did they do that? This is such a weird choice. I don't know. It's interesting to see like where a lot of the creative staff went and how they did kind of the, just the same thing again but worse again i'm not sure I mean, how that it happened. does make me wonder it, like i said if some of the, like the more technical staff had departed or i guess not departed the, because they, they, they departed like, to start a new company had, but we're had, no longer yeah. with them or we're no longer with the project and that might be i honestly think that they like like, I think one of the things that makes ukulele, like, less good by comparison to Banjo-Kazooie is, like, the levels are huge but not densely populated. Oh, and that's a problem that 3D platformers couldn't figure out for, like, 10 years, right? And, like, I, I think between Tui and Mario Odyssey, honestly. I mean, Galaxy gets away by, the, by making the levels really small, right? Yep. Um, what, which yeah, I think that, is a way to solve my, the problem. My feeling on... Banjo Tui here was that the levels were basically empty, or at least the, the environments I was running around in were basically empty. Yeah, and ukulele exacerbates that problem a lot. There were a lot of cool set pieces, but they were goddamn miles apart. Uh, which is just a problem of bigger is better was the feeling at the time, right? And one of the reasons I love going back to Mario 64 so much is while the levels still feel big, they're pretty dense and small, yep. actually. Which is why I like them, which is why I thought for a long t time I preferred Mario 64 to Banjo-Kazooie. I was a fool. I was wrong. But because I was talking about lack of polish and you've alluded to a few times, I, the music in this game is fantastic. Grant Kirkhope is unimpeachable. Great guy. Silly music. Do enjoy. That's all I have to say about Grant Kirkhope. Anything else we want to say on it? If you align with me, you'll probably be bored playing this game, but if you align with the other two guys, which is probably more likely, you probably have some fun with it. I mean, it's alright. Like, it's, it's not... 15 bucks on Xbox Live for the 360. I don't know how good it is or how available it is on the one, though. Yeah, if you like 3D platformers or you think my comparison of 3D platformers are basically just puzzle games with technical elements thrown in, then you should maybe try it, but Banjo-Kazooie is better, so go play that instead. Yeah, Banjo-Kazooie for sure is better. What I will say about this game is I don't really recommend it like you're going to have a fun time. I recommend it for study. I think if you're, especially if you played Mario 64 or you played games like that and you're like, why didn't these really take off? Banjo-Tooie is like an excellent place to go to see what the problems that were starting to exist in them were. 
And to be fair, I do think they took off, but they evolved into like open world sandboxy games. I, which, so. I, I don't feel like they evolved directly into open world sandboxy games. I feel like they were absorbed into them yes. because that's where a lot of like the Easter eggs hunt, like the packages in GTA or the notes in or sea shanties in Assassin's Creed. Yeah, or I was thinking even like the Spider-Man games. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I don't like those is they aren't dense, right? They they are those are giant places, right? And there are a few little challenges with collectibles. And th- which is actually why I like some of the newer Assassin's Creeds pitch for Odyssey is that they are super dense. Fair. I haven't played one since four, so. Yeah, Odyssey's great. I should play more Black Flag. I should I should just restart Black Flag because the naval combat's so much I, fun. I really just want a game focused around that style of naval combat. Black Flag exists on Steam. It's basically like a naval combat game where you're playing uh, crewmen on board a ship. Huh. I might have to look that up. I've, I picked up a couple naval combat I games and none of them ex- have lived up to my expectations. I think it's exclusively multiplayer, though. My final thought on Banjo-Tooie is I feel like there is a world, it's not ours, but there's a world where these sort of 3D platformers continue to evolve and take off, where Banjo-Tooie is a great game that ruined video games because all the wrong lessons were learned from it. Because I think while there's a lot of good here, there's also a lot of wrong. I really like this game, but I feel like I focused when I was talking about it on what I don't think works about it. And that's why I find it so interesting to talk about or study. But I think there's a world where... Mario Sunshine was very popular, and people were copying Banjo-Tooie in that world. It has a ton of these games that are terrible. Yep, I can see that. So speaking of terrible video games, we have a list on our website, www.lastpodcast.com, listing all the games we've played from least terrible to most. <laughs> there are a lot of them. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of terrible games on this list. <laughs> the least terrible game is Chrono Trigger. That's got some pretty good music and some Akira Toriyama art. The most terrible game is City Connection. It sucks. The mediumist terrible game is Blades of Steel. It's a hockey game. That's fine. Uh, We already said it's worse than Banjo-Kazooie, which I absolutely stand by. Because I compared it to it, and I think they are highly comparable. This is, I think, probably much lower than it'll end up, but we can discuss it. How do we think it compares to Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels? Because I think these are two games that weirdly share a lot of design DNA. And they're both platformers. Or at least design philosophy yeah. also. I didn't even talk about Minjos, but Minjos are just poison mushrooms. That is true. I mean, uh, like, there's absolutely no comparison, but I do see why you wanted to, like, bring up the similarities. But yeah, no, Banjo Tui is way better. Um, <laughs> I don't think way better, but I definitely think better. It, do you have an opinion, Zach? Because you're kind of... I'm not sure. Better is a weird word, actually. I mean that it is... It has more content, and I would be content playing Banjo-Tooie much longer than I would be content playing Mario 2 The well, Lost, Lost Levels. Well, Lost Levels is actively unfair and unfun to deal with, whereas Banjo-Tooie is boring and unfun to deal with. That's where my dilemma is coming from. And, like, to some extent, I almost prefer the unfair, because at least I can master it and sh- rub it in the game's face. But <laughs> uh, but I think I could see myself playing Banjo-Tooie for much longer. I don't think this game is as good as Mario 64. I tend to agree. It's weird because I feel like Banjo-Tooie controls a lot better, which is a thing I normally... But, like, the level design is so uninspiring. That's not even the right word. Like, I, I don't want to play most of the levels in Banjo-Tooie. But it has some good ones. But, but it doesn't have TikTok clock. It, Mario it, 64 also has some good ones, yeah. Hailfire Peaks is on TV tropes, right? And so is Cloud Cuckoo Land, and they both deserve to be there. But Grunty Industries is also in this game, and it should also be in TV tropes to be like, avoid, despair all ye who enter here. <laughs> are, are we saying Mario 64 is better? I 
think I prefer Mario 64, yes. I think so, too. How do we think it compares to Sonic Adventure 2 Battle? Because huh. way w- it, the, the imaginary version of Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, which is just the Sonic and Shadow levels, blows this game out of the water. Uh, unfortunately, I'm comparing it to the real version of Sonic Adventure 2, which has the Eggman and Knuckles and Rouge levels. Just on the basis of the fact that Sonic Adventure 2 Battle does include the <laughs> Sonic and Shadow levels, I'm going to say better. <clears throat> okay, so here's the thing. I've been thinking about this occasionally because for some reason, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle keeps coming up in my goddamn feed for some reason. Uh, because I keep saying the name in your house. No, that's fair. Uh, no, it's mostly like I have been following a bunch of like meme producers and they like to reference that game a lot. It's very so, memeable. It's very memeable. So to some extent, like would I want an entire game of just Sonic and Shadow levels? I don't know. I, I feel mean, like they're good because they're juxtaposed with the absolute dog shit of the other levels. To be fair, that game isn't better if it's just three times as many of those, right? Yeah. I agree with you there. It's just a, in my head, it's only those levels, and that's the highlights, so I'm only playing through the highlights when I think of that game. That's where it's also got chow farming, so I'm actually going to say Sonic Adventure <laughs> 2. Uh, <laughs> chow, so I, how could I forget? <laughs> chow racing is horrible. Chow farming is great. But how do you feel about chow tossing? Uh, Chow Tossing's fine. I Chow Toss is fine. It's probably not as good as Pokemon Snap, which is an N64 game, and that's why I'm pulling it. I, yeah, no, I prefer Pokemon Snap, just because it's a creative idea. Not to say that Banjo-Tooie isn't creative, I guess. It's just the fact that it is elaborating on already established okay. concepts. These are both games I love that have lots of problems, and this game was supposed to be a game like this and wasn't. How do we think it compares to Kingdom Hearts? The original Kingdom Hearts. Yep. Have we played any of the other ones for the podcast? I honestly we have don't... not. We have not. Thankfully. Okay. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 is way better, in my opinion. But... Oh, in everybody's opinion. Yeah. It would be really hard to be worse. I, okay, again, I actually have this problem where I have to compare it to the real version of Kingdom Hearts <laughs> and not the imaginary version. Because the problem is, in my head... But see, the combat in Kingdom Hearts isn't good, but it's probably better than the combat in Banjo-Kazooie, right? I think Kingdom Hearts is probably better than Banjo-Tooie. I think i agree with that the the problem i'm really uh trying to disambiguate for myself is in my head the combat in kingdom hearts is kingdom hearts 2 which is way better so (laughs) but it's still definitely better than banjo kazooie's combat even though kingdom hearts combat is bad and kind of clunky yeah i was also going to say the original kingdom hearts levels are also kind of weirdly clunky but they're like fun the kingdom hearts levels and Banjo, they're not incomparable, but Kingdom Hearts levels are valleys that, of enemies that yeah, you through, right? Whereas Banjo-Tooie levels are open puzzles. But all of them have, like, conceits towards puzzles. Yeah, so. uh, how Speaking of puzzles, how do we think it compares to Resident Evil? Hmm. I definitely prefer Tooie to Resident Evil, and this is the first time I felt confident of, oh, this goes higher. Just because I, I also find Resident Evil to be kind of bluegy and unfun even though the theming of it is in many ways better and like if this was resident evil 2 this would be a way easier decision for me but this is actually a pretty close comparison for me i think my problem if i were trying to think of it as resident evil 2 is i'd be thinking of the resident evil 2 make which is fantastic well the original resident evil 2 is widely regarded as pretty dang good resident evil 1 is just such a pain in the ass to play it is (laughs) even the remake (laughs) I think I agree on Banjo-Tooie, although this is a pretty tough split for me. I think we're in the right zone, because I feel like uh, they have a lot of the same problems and a lot of the same successes. 
How do we think it compares to Metroid Zero Mission, a sort of remake of the original Metroid? I prefer Banjo Tooie. There's like the Game Boy, <laughs> yeah, uh, GBA, but yes. I think as a Metroid fan, I think I have an unusually harsh opinion of Metroid <laughs> Zero Mission. So, <laughs> I, and like I wasn't sure, but you being so confident makes me agree with you. Maybe that's wrong, but that's where I am. Final question: Is it better or worse than Toki Tori, the bird puzzle game? I don't remember this at all. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> Let me go look up a picture of this game and see if it jogs some memories. I remember Toki Tori, and I, I'm trying to think of any way to describe it other than the bird puzzle game. What? Um, we played a game called Toki Tori? Yes. I, like, the, the more I'm thinking about it, the more like vague shapes <laughs> are coming to mind. Okay, yeah, now that I'm looking at it. Okay, yeah, okay. It's kind of like that, uh, the Wario platformer puzzle game uh, here i'm gonna pull up an image to see if this jog oh <laughs> i do um, remember this game yeah i mean it's vaguely a, yeah like it's a solid lo- oh man is lost vikings available anywhere anyway um i think i prefer toki tori actually and i was gonna say i think i prefer it joe tui although they're very close it is very close like i could pretty easily be swayed either direction i think i would prefer banjo tui for the sole reason whereas i think a year down the road i will remember banjo tui whereas clearly we didn't remember i'm pretty sure in an hour and a half i will forget all about toki tori all right so banjo tui goes at number 99 above toki tori and below kingdom hearts yeah, that seems about right, honestly. A little lower than I thought, but I'm not upset with the position. Yeah, no. I also agree. Lower than I thought, but like, not not unreasonably. Zach, what are we going to play next time? So, we've got this weird blank spot. Well, it's not entirely blank, but we're missing a lot of spot there. And uh, I think I'm going to go back to one of BioWare's first games that they put out. We're going to go with Neverwinter Nights 2 because I need some D&D in my life. Is that a BioWare game? I had no idea. It's Bioware. Huh. So, next time on Last Time, I choose you, Bulbasaur. But the timeline is all f- This is the podcast we don't swear on. The po- the I opened it up by saying that I have a big dick, Zach. You're fine. <laughs> uh, really, I took that as big breasts, 100%. <laughs> <laughs>